How strongly do you guys adhere to the concept of spell components? I don't mean verbal and somatic. I mean, like, material components. I don't really hold too hard and fast to it. Unless it is something quite specific and the players bring it up. But as a DM... I'm not going to force it unless it is something of intrinsic value, like a diamond with a thousand gold pieces. You better have that. I yeah, will ask. Fair. Yeah, normally if it says that the spell consumes the component, then I am a stickler. But if not, then I don't really care. I mean, because most of it, you can just be covered like, oh, I got a component pouch. Yeah, uh, if I can be honest, the only things I really give a shit about are things for rituals, because I want them to role play it out, like find familiar with the bronze brazier, right? So like, I want there to be that or diamonds resurrection magic is uh should not be cheap it's how i mitigate resurrection being every other session in or the jeweled bowl for heroes feast yeah like cool little ritual pieces or like unique things that they carry on them um i also don't target them if i end up rolling on a crit table and they lose an item or something like that i don't target their items um not unless it's for flavor, like a thief in a market tries to pickpocket their, you know, jeweled bowl out of their backpack. Yeah, exactly. Okay, how how do you feel about players making their own pieces for the rituals rather than having to find them or buy them kind of thing? I'm all for it if you can actually tell me how you do it and you have the materials to make it. So, like, if you need a crow skull for a ritual... That's great. You're going to give me a survival check when you're out in nature to see if you can find a dead crow. You know, you got to roll a 20 because that's a that's a tall order. But if you do it you, and you get it, then you then there you go. You don't have to buy it. If you've got to weave together a dream catcher, just give me a sleight of hand check or a dexterity check, or just a general one um, for, you know, how well you uh, do this. And it's not do you do it or not. Instead, it's how many hours does it take? Will you be able to do it in a short rest or a long rest? I would have to agree. I love the fact that my players want to take the initiative to make do something creative, especially if it's how they're performing the spell, like the difference of how a wizard would cast a spell using it versus an artificer. Yeah. Flavor yeah. it how you want. Absolutely. You you want your gauntlets to glow as it does this as an artificer with electricity? Sure. Go ahead. You're releasing an electrical arc. Why not? Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on Dungeon Master Tips in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Kyle and Tyler, and this episode is called Spells, Casts to Break the Molds. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to talk about some of the unsung heroes of the Spellcasters spell list and why you should be choosing the spells that everyone else is leaving behind. As it stands now, there are 516 official spells in 5th edition, but some are absolute standouts that everyone loves. Besides Magic Missile, Mage Hand, Mage Armor, Shield, Fireball, and the healing spells, all of them, what non-cantrip is the most overused in your opinion? Let's roll initiative. 18. 12. Nine. All right, I'm going last. What's the most overused spell, Kyle? Uh, Okay, are we talking for ourselves or everybody else? 
No, just in general. What what you see, I guess. Oh, okay. I mean, I personally love Misty Step, and I will have it on every character I can get it on. Hands down, right? I love it. It's gotten me out of so many jams. Uh, it, but for everybody else, I don't know. Healing word, maybe? No, no healing spells. I said all of them. No healing spells. I just, I like, that's what I see, I guess, the most out of everything else. Because it's a bonus action. It's pretty good. I think for myself, one of the major ones that I see often that is not from the list above is Guiding Bolt. It's the, I would say it's one of the main ones that clerics use in, in battle. It's the, that's my damaging spell. I will use it. Go ahead. Okay, fine. You can't be more creative. Go right ahead. I mean, it's a good spell, though. You it is. Advantage. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great spell. Uh, but I don't want my guys using it literally every single battle. You have a host of other spells that you could choose from in certain situations. But again, I'm not saying it's a bad spell. It's an amazing spell. I, I just want my players to look at some Branch of the other out. spells, which which is what this episode is for, really. Okay. Honestly, I had to suffer through them casting Magical Darkness for a long, long, long time. So my party loved dropping darkness on people. Um, and, and Told the Dead was another one that I saw all the time. They've recently discovered Shatter, and I've got three oh, characters no. of my six players. Three of them have taken levels in Bard, so Silvery Barbs is now the bane of my existence. However, <laughs> I will say that uh, for me using uh, stuff against them, Counter Charm and Dispel Magic. Oops, oh, now yeah. it's a regular sword again. Yeah. All right, before we get any deeper into talking about spells, let's cut to a quick ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join the Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the Campaign Builder, we sit down to talk about strategy sessions. These are sessions without combat, and when the players are in charge of their own future, their own narrative moving forward, and how Dungeon Masters can help facilitate that. Also, for Silver Tier patrons and above, I sit down and I go over some of the most forgotten rules in D&D 5th Edition, the ones that are overlooked by the average Dungeon Master. And on top of all that, we're celebrating this week because we just hit 800 YouTube subscribers last week, and uh, we absolutely thank everybody for your support. If you haven't gone over to YouTube and subscribed and liked some of the videos there, uh, I really ask you politely to please go do that because that's where we get a lot of our engagement, a lot of our word of mouth. And currently, right now, we're getting all of the YouTube videos caught up. One brand new one a day until we're up to date again. It's been going for about a week, and it's going to go for another week and a half or so. Man, October was a busy month. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. All right, so let's go through the spell lists and see what hidden gems stick out to us from within the shadows of the more popular spells. So we're going to focus on spells just of levels 1 to 5 and cantrips because that's where most players live and what gives us the best, op the best option to have available spell slots and known spells to play with. 
I had a lot of hard, like a lot of trouble coming up with how to break this episode down because there are a handful of spells out there where we could just rant for 45 minutes on one spell, right? Agreed. So so the way that this works is that um, we separated it out so that one person's going to be covering cantrips or level one spells. Um, one person's going to be covering level two or level three spells and one person's going to be covering level four and level five spells. So we're just kind of picking some to see if we can get through this. Um, we're going to go through it by class. So we've got six full casters, and um, including the warlock, which I know is not a full caster, but suck it. Um, More than others. Yeah. And then um, we've got, uh, after that, three um, of the half casters as well. For things like Eldritch Knight and and Arcane Trickster, we're not diving into that. You just get, oh, you're from the wizard spell list. So, it, I mean, it all just holds up anyway, right? So... Um, like I say, we're going to steer clear of the high-level spells. Uh, if people like this episode, leave us a note, and we will tackle the high-level ones another time. They tend to be more complicated, and they would balloon this episode quite a lot. So um, I guess we'll just go in order and not roll initiative so that we're not bouncing around from spell level to spell level on this. Probably a good idea. We're going to start with wizard spells. Uh, cantrips and level one. I went through the whole damn list. I'll... There's a use for almost every cantrip for wizards. Like I, I see enough wizards at my table that there was nothing that that stood out to me. But Tasha's Cauldron of Everything gave us a level one spell that I thought was a lot of fun. And that's Tasha's Caustic Brew. This is really fun because it gives you a stream of acid that emanates from you um, in a line 30 feet long and five feet wide. But the thing that I like about it is that if you failed the deck save necessary um, to get away from this, then you end up having to use an action to scrape or wash the acid off. Um, and uh, if you are the one that got hit by acid, it does 2d4 acid damage at the start of each of its turns. So there's no secondary save to get past it. You just have to use an action to, you know, it burns part of your um, initiative um, and the action economy. And I mean, you can have someone else burn an action to clear it off you, uh, or you can burn your own action to clear it off somebody else. But we don't see enough ongoing damage shit outside of like Alchemist's Fire. And I don't think we see enough um, just uses of, of burning part of the action economy or using up your, your place in initiative. I really like that. It gives me something extra to think about. I like that it's mm -hmm. also just what's well, first level, right? Yeah, yeah, this is level one. It, so. is, it, I like how it is something that's so accessibly available. Yeah, and it's also cool because you can upcast it too, right? So it's a, an additional 2d4 for each slot above. So that's always good. But what's really cool is that you get hit by it and it doesn't do damage. Not until the start of your next turn. It takes a second to bubble, right? Do you, so, think, it, do you think it's damaging the clothes at all? I, I would flavor it that absolutely, yes, it would be. Um, but uh, it's I'm not going to ruin magical items. No, no, no. Yeah, but like cold weather clothing, if they're yes somewhere like that, right? And if yeah, they're, or their noble's outfit, you know, they get hit by this on the way to the freaking king's ball, and then like, well... Shit, got to go home and change. I guess I'll be late. Yeah, get the sewing kit. That's why you never leave home without mending. <laughs> Kyle, you've got uh, the next spell, right? Uh, yeah, okay. So I, I got level two to three, and I had a pretty hard time choosing one because I thought there was quite a few that were maybe underrepresented. But I went with Wither and Bloom, which is a second level spell from uh, Strixhaven, which I've never actually really gone through. But I got to say, it's it's a great spell. So uh, in a 10-foot radius sphere, it deals 2d6 necrotic damage on a failed con save to every creature of your choice. 
And then one creature of your choice in that sphere as well uh, can roll one of their hit dice to gain life. So it is a great spell if, you know, you got someone that's about to go down, they're surrounded by a bunch of enemies, and you have no idea how else to get them out, and you're dealing damage while also throwing out a healing spell, right? Best of both worlds kind of thing. And what level is that? Sorry. Just, second sorry? level. Second level. Wow, that's... I like that. Can you upcast it? Does it do more later or no? Uh, yeah, so uh, for every level higher, you get an extra D6 and uh, the number of hit dice that can be spent uh, and added to the healing increases by one. Nice. That's that's pretty freaking rad. That and, is pretty awesome. And that's a rare example of wizards being able to cast healing. Yeah. Well, exactly. I, I, well, I, I like how it's not just healing, but it's it's damage and healing. Yeah, it's an AOE and a healing spell, right? Yeah. And you don't have to worry about friendly fire as well because you get to pick the targets that Kyle, take damage. Kyle, Kyle, nobody worries about friendly fire. Nah, well, you know. <laughs> have you have you met D&D players? <laughs> I didn't ask how big the room was. <laughs> Tyler, what do you have for levels four or five? Okay, so I picked one that it's not so forgotten that some people do use it, but I want to question how people use it. It's the spell uh, Gies, or is it Gaze? It's however it's people... Gies. It's pronounced Gesh. Yeah, Gesh. Uh, disgust me, Adam. It's Gies. It is pronounced Gesh. It is, I believe, a Celtic word. No. Uh, as it actually, like, I looked up the definition of this years ago, and it's, I believe, it's like Hex or Curse, but it could have benefits as well. It's not just negative. It could also be positive. So it's kind of like... Like it straddles the line between a blessing and a curse. So, Gesh. You can, this is also you can another reason why I wanted to bring it up. <laughs> I find this spell so intriguing. You can do a lot with it. It is another charm spell. Oh, hooray. Charm. Well, we never see those before. But I love that this is not just a charm for a, a moment. No, this can last up to 30 days. And the very fact of it is if the creature understands you and you cast us on it and they fail the saving throw, they are charmed by you for the duration. There is no save on this. It's after you fail that wisdom saving throw, you are charmed for the entire duration and until 30 days are up. And essentially, the, you issue a command, and if you don't follow the command, you are going to take 5d10 of psychic damage if you don't choose it. Now, it's only once a day that you'll take this damage. But over 30 days, that's like, sure, you'll get a long rest in there, but that can wither you down a little bit. Or let's say it's a cast on a lower level party, because keep in mind, if it's 5d10, that's a max of 50 damage. If you're a level two and you have this cast on you and you choose not to obey whatever is told on you to do. Yeah, you're making death saves. That's intense. Yeah. It is. And one thing I like about this, and the reason I chose it is you don't have to give a specific thing that is towards the story. It can be something absolutely ridiculous that they have to do. And the only caveat is it can't be something that's suicidal. There's a lot of things that they can do that are not suicidal. Are you guys familiar with the show Preacher? Yes. Not as much, no. Okay, so Tyler, it's absolutely not your cup of tea. So uh, the the general premise behind it is that there's a man who is a preacher um, who has essentially lost his faith, but he ends up getting the word of God, where when he wants, he can speak, 
and people have to follow his commands. And it's gnarly. The book is like 18A. Like it's pretty, it's as rated R as you can get because he keeps telling people to go fuck themselves and shit like that. And like they immediately go do ridiculous things. But one of the uses of this, um, when he like really hates a person, he turns to them and he goes, I need you to count every grain of sand on this beach. And then turns around <laughs> and walks away. And then you check in with this guy like six months later and he's like emaciated and barely able to function. And he's sitting there counting like uh, 4,776,942,106. And, and like, there, that's all of them. And then he like gets up and stumbles back into the storyline as a broken individual. That is what Gesh is. And I think that's yeah, rad. absolutely. I also like the idea of giving a command that's go do this. I'd, how about a command of don't do this? Don't as long as it's not suicidal, on... right? Like you yeah. can just you, take away you say... someone's reason for living. Like turn to the bard and say, "Don't play instruments." Or how about even something as "Don't walk on your feet." Yeah, there you go. Well, he, and the thing is, this is not just a flavor context. You are now going after what well, the player sheet. They are there. What's the what is the walking speed now? Yeah, they're crawling or they're on their hands. They that's what I love about this is you can give them commands that will affect what they can do, unless they want to try and take that damage. You, you by all means go right ahead. But man, the, the tough part about it is that it does take a minute to cast and they have to be in your sight line the whole time. Yeah, but keep in mind, this doesn't need to be during battle. No, but I mean, you still have to have someone tied up to get them to sit there or. And for you to cast a spell or first you cast sleep oh yeah True. here's the other thing too i want to bring up before we get to any of the other spells uh for flavor guys keep in mind there's going to be a big difference of casting this during battle or in a rural area on a forest and a farm or in an urban setting these are all different scenarios of how these things can be cast casting gesh in in during a battle near impossible However, in an urban setting, in a busy marketplace, no one's going to ever notice. Would you combine this with like speak with plants and animals so that you could command an animal or a plant to do something like if there are thorny vines, you, you know, you can speak to the plant and tell and it will understand you. And you say block the path for anyone that isn't me. Yeah, why not? It's, I, it's where I these combinations start to come into play that that really make it interesting for me. Now, do you speak mm. with animals a concentration? Uh, I don't know. Because if it is, that would not really work, I don't think. Um, I am a forever dungeon master. I don't know how spells work. I tell you to tell me how spells work. Well, I'll, um, I can say no. It doesn't look like it is. So, yeah, technically this could work. Yeah. That there's some interesting uses of like it's a lot of communication spells that like for the next minute you can do this right or um well, there's a couple of te like telepathy spells or psychic ones where you can talk to someone else and it doesn't matter what language they speak so if they understand yep. you and, and then you cast gesh as well right like there's some there's some interesting opportunities here i see it as like a great spy spell right like you capture someone and you go okay everything that happens i need you to repeat to me everything you hear for the next month right everything that goes on write me or every day write me a letter telling me everything that goes on or you could use this as a as a whenever somebody asks you a question you don't remember the answer 
right? So you could use this for sending spies across den across enemy lines. If they get captured, they will straight up believe that they don't know the answer. But then when they come home, this wears off and they can resume their regular lives again. That's true. Let's move on to sorcerer spells. Um, Kyle, I think you got the the first cantrips are level one. Uh, yeah. So cantrips are level one. I I don't know if this is underused or underappreciated, but like sleep is a phenomenal spell, right? You get 5d8, um, you roll 5d8, and then that's the total amount of hit points you can use to put people to sleep. So every time you put a creature to sleep, you subtract their hit points from the die total that you have, and then they fall asleep for one minute, which as a first level spell is insanely powerful because they don't even get a saving throw, right? Mm -hmm. It is just automatically they are asleep. And when you're first level and you're dealing with stuff that has seven hit points you can put i don't know potentially up to like four different creatures asleep maybe even more if you've got like a swarm of something or like that right and then for every level you upcast you get an extra 2d8 so i mean you go all the way up to nine that's what 23d8 of creatures that you can put to sleep that's an army yeah we had um just in our campaign uh like two sessions ago there were uh, four goblins with four blind hostages. They, they had ripped their eyes out and they were holding knives to the hostages' throats and the bugbear commanded them, if they move forward, slit the throats immediately. So they all readied their action. So like, what do you do with that? But Dan mm-hmm. hit next in initiative and he cast sleep and wiped out the goblins and the hostages. Just put everybody to sleep. So it was one bugbear against the entire party now. And yeah. that kind of shit is exactly what I want to see. He wrecked my encounter. That was supposed to be a social encounter, and it turned into a bugbear getting just pulverized. But I absolutely loved that level of problem solving, and that's what sleep is great for. Yeah, it has so many potential uses. Yeah, uh, so it is a yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say it's a great uh, diffuser of a situation. Yeah. Also, a- when when the bard is singing and performing um, in the tavern. You, as a sorcerer, can put half of the audience to sleep just to fuck with their ego. I would almost want to do it in the sense of, if that's the case, that it would confuse the heck out of them, making them think that they did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can get not, your, not, not your by subtle boring, spell, but... your, 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 uh, yeah, your subtle spell um, sorcery points going off, yeah, that'd be yeah. fun. Slipping a note to the DM every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tyler, what do you have for sorcerers? All right, so... For level sorcerers level two and level three, a spell that stood out to me was one called Vortex Warp. Have you guys ever heard of this spell? Is this the freaking critical role? This is one of the graviturgy spells. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I don't know offhand. But Strixhaven is that? Yeah, oh, Strixhaven. Strixhaven. Oh shit! Yeah. All right. Well, all right. What does it do? Essentially, it allows you to teleport someone from one place to another. Simply put. Against their will? They, if it's against their will, they have to fail a con save, which isn't everyone's high high save. But if they fail, the target is... No, they can choose to fail. So if you do this to a friendly creature, they don't have to do that. Uh, but the target is teleported to an unoccupied space of your choice that you can see that's within 90 feet. Now, it has to be on a surface or in a liquid that can support the target without them being squeezed. I have a question. Yep. Would you include a uh, flag as being a surface and you, you just send them up to the top of a flagpole 90 feet in the air? Would you include this being like the side of a wall on a let hundred? Me ask, 
Let me ask Are... you this. Can it support the character without them being squeezed? Okay, that's the rule. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, it says it has I mean, to support the target. Yeah, you can. I mean, a flagpole could support a target. Yeah, you put, you know, if you put them up top of the flagpole, then it they just could. have to make a dex check to, to balance, right? There. But yeah. it's strong enough to hold them. Yep, or it could be uh, on if you're fighting, for example, on a mountainside and you put them on a peak that's like 80 feet away from you. Yep. yep. But here's what I love is it's it says liquid. Doesn't say what kind of liquid. It just has to be able to support without being squeezed. What if you would have put them on top of a gelatinous cube? Yeah, I guess it depends on what your definition of support is, right? Well, it just supports them without them having squeezed. You can put them over top of water and they fall in. You could put it over top of lava. But like the the, I'm not sure that water is going to support me. But no, but you even if you fall in, you're not going to be squeezed. That's the wording. It says support the target without the target having to squeeze. I mean, if you really want to get granular with it, water will squeeze you if you're inside it, right? Because it's the cumulative weight of water over top of you. If my players wanted to use this to dunk people in water or lava or something like that, I would be I'd tell them the same thing. If the answer is yes, then the bad guys can do it as well. Exactly, so it's, yeah. It, it's an all or nothing. I like this use of it. Um, I like that we we both went in, in kind of a watery direction for ours for Sorcerer. Yeah, but I just really like this idea, though, of because we have so many spells that allow the char- characters to transport from one place to another. Dimension Door, Misty Step, but this one allows you to do it to someone else. The other thing that you could do as well is you could teleport someone into the gallows standing on the trap door with a rope around their neck. Yep. You can force them into a place, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, straight into behind bars, something like that. Yeah. I have a a question. Would you allow them to transport someone into a magical nullified area? Uh, No, because, no, the magic magic doesn't work there. You could get them to the border of it, right? But if there's an anti-magic field up, then no. But okay. I would definitely let it work through force fields. If you okay. can through it, absolutely you know, you can. So or put him on top of a glyph. See, now now we're thinking here. You 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 are now standing on top of the ward. Boom. Yeah, I like it. Uh for my sorcerer spell, I went with watery sphere from Xanathar's. Uh, this is a fourth level spell, and it makes me kind of laugh because it's neat. And I don't think we have anything else really like this. You essentially make a five-foot radius uh sphere of water that hovers. Uh, no more than 10 feet above the ground. You can move it if you are within um, 30 feet of it. No, 60 feet of it, 30 feet of it. If you're within 30 feet of it, you can use an action to move the sphere. And then it just can go wherever you want. If you dock it off a cliff, it drops until it's hovering 10 feet around, like above the, the ground. So you can't use this to just like um, hover people over empty spaces or not, but you can do it for lava. You absolutely can do it for uh, pits of acid or uh, pit traps with spikes because they'll be 10 feet above the spikes. But the idea here is that you can choose one large creature or four of a creature smaller than large. Um, and then uh, they if they end up in it, they got to make a strength saving throw. On a successful one, they just get yeeted out of it. Um, and uh, if they fail, then they're restrained. They can't move out of it. But it's also a watery sphere. It doesn't say this, but, like, you can't breathe. You're not casting spells. If you are, then you're suddenly, like, in trouble in here, right? So, um, but you just get to, like, you were saying, Tyler, you with the vortex warp, you just teleport one one person from here to there. Watery yep. sphere is just like, hey, I'm going to make a water bubble 
I'm going to put four enemies in it, and I'm going to shift them to the other side of the um, the battlefield. I'm going to put them where they don't want to be. And then I'm going to keep them there. Uh, it's concentration up to a minute. And yeah, they can repeat their saving throws, but that just kicks them out over and over again. If you dispel the sphere, if you just let go of it because it's concentration, or if you want to, uh, or the, you know, the time is up, then the sphere falls to the ground and extinguishes all normal flames um, within 30 feet of it. And any creature restrained by it is knocked prone where it falls. So it's suddenly just like the bubble bursts and just everything around gets drenched and wet. I particularly like this because how many times do you fight fire things? Yes. It, I'm absolutely going to do this to a to a young uh, red dragon. I'm going to do this to methods. I'm going to do it to magmen. I'm going to do it to fire elementals because it's like, I'm going to put damage on this shit, right? But you can cast this. Sorry, it's up to 90 feet away, and then you can move it 30 feet at a, as an action. So my question to you is this. Yeah. Is that's that's one thing is to take out fire. What if you drop this onto acid? Because water and acid, that is not always a good thing. If you think of chemistry. Yes, and I agree with you normally, but I the same way that magical fire doesn't necessarily light shit on fire, right? It does fire damage, but it doesn't light things on fire unless it specifically says that. This is magical water. So it specifically says put out flames. I'm probably Fair not going to let you drink this water afterwards. Um, it actually does say at the very end, the last sentence is the water then vanishes. Oh, so okay. it would it would like push things away maybe or or get them wet and then immediately become dry again because all of the water vanishes. I see a great use for this because I'm looking at the spell and it, it says that when they're yeeted out of it, it's of the player's choice to an unoccupied space that is within five feet of it. Is that what it is? Yeah. I, I would imagine, yeah. I I could see that if you're dangling them in <laughs> over top of something they don't want to be, and there's only one space that they're able to go to, so they succeed, they jump out onto that space. Well, guess what? There's a trap on that space. You you know what I'm using this for as a sorcerer? Is this is how I get the rest of the party across the volcano, like across the mm. pool of lava. Ooh, yeah. I actually right. like that because it also keeps them cool. Yeah. So this is also yeah. going to be relatively useful for transporting your party around. You can't go vertically, but you can get across as long as it's above a surface. You, you can get them there, right? And you can move them 30 feet as well, right? In any in any direction, which means that you can put them like down and do like they can drop 20 feet and then you can move it up the 20 feet on the other side of the gorge. Right to yeah. get to the other side, it just like it hovers. Um, so you can move it around. It's it's basically just... as a climbing speed kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So also, this is a stealthy way of getting your paladin down the hallway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So also, I'm wondering, you know, uh, if it moves over a pit or a cliff, right? Um, couldn't you just hypothetically end the spell as soon as it's over the edge of the cliff and then drop someone down? Because you can end concentration at any time. You could. I think that it's super shitty to do that. Like, it's clearly not rules as intended here. Yeah. Um, if it moves over a pit, a cliff, or other drop-off, it safely descends until it is hovering 10 feet above the ground. It doesn't tell you what speed that's at either. It just safely does it. Yeah. So it might, like, drop at terminal velocity, but nobody gets hurt. <laughs> I was saying it drops at it can drop at terminal velocity, but then once it reaches that, it slows down almost immediately. And it's like a buffer of water inside, so you're not actually hurt; you're just jolted. Yeah. 
You would have whiplash. Feel like laundry. Oh, yeah. I also like the idea, too. Like, in my head, there's, like, a current or waves inside of it. So the people are getting, like, kind of buffered around a little bit as the water yeah. moves. Because they do land prone when they get sped out, when the, when the spell ends, right? So. Yeah. Are they going to be wet? Or are they going to be dry when it, they come out of it? When the spell ends, you. they become dry. But, like, if the spell is still going, they were in it, they managed to make their strength save, and they... They get out of it. They fall to 10 feet, so they'll take the 1d6 damage. They're still wet until the spell ends and then the water vanishes. Hmm. Okay. I'm just thinking a bit of, as a player, I would almost want to cast this on someone and they manage to get out, but then shoot them with lightning bolt. I always make water. If you are soaked, you take double damage for lightning and cold. I exactly. always do that. Um, but that's a homebrew rule for me. So I, I do much the same. Um, let's move on to bard spells. All right. So I have the cantrip slash level one. I went on a different route here, guys. I chose something that is very common, and that is dissonant whispers. How often do we see bards using this particular spell? I but the reason I chose this is more so out of how can we take this spell and creatively use it? We see it almost always in battle as one of the options that the bard can do. But let's take that out of battle. Let's say you're in a social setting or you're in a group, you're in a hall even, and you have someone trying to plead their case in front of the magistrate. And then from the corner you have the bard cast dissonant whispers on this person or someone in the court and they just start to scream because how dissonant whispers works guys is the only person who can hear it is the person you're casting it on and i believe it's uh, 60 feet is what it is just double checking that it is yeah 60 feet uh so if that's the case you're 60 feet away you, someone might see a mouth moving, but they don't hear anything. But there's one person who hears it. And then all of a sudden they're just screaming in pain or just are going mad with these whispers in their head and causing them pain. And I want to see how everyone would react to it. So take this out of take this out of a combat option. Put it into a social setting or even a, a, an exploration. See how that works and see what people do around. Mm -hmm. That's fun. That's I, flavorful. Although I feel like it's going to kick off combat. <laughs> this, well, is, this is the round before shit hits the fan. It might, but it could be that you have, maybe you're, the, the party is in court and they've been accused of something. Yeah. Or you could even do it to like discredit someone who like, if you're in a public place and someone is, is trying to besmirch your name, you start casting dissonant whispers on them. And they start reacting to the voices that aren't there. Yeah, right? exactly. And makes them look crazy. But again, remember, people can tell when you're casting spells. So you gotta you gotta come up with a pretty good way for them to realize the or to not realize that you're doing this, right? Well, here's the I thing see, with go ahead. Uh, I like I see where Tyler's coming from because it says it's it's only a verbal component and you whisper it and only one person can hear you. So technically only that one person would know. If you exactly. were doing it, my issue is how long it lasts because it's only six seconds. So sure, that person is racked with pain and might do something weird, but then they'd probably know you did it, right? And then how, they would, how would you? How would they know if you're like, in a group of people though? If you're in a crowd of people, yeah. If you're in a if you're in a crowded marketplace, yeah. How would they know it was you? But if you're in combat, right? Oh like, gosh, yeah, yeah absolutely. They, yeah, they know it's you. That's what I'm saying. Take it out of combat. Yeah. If you're if you're in like a like a court proceeding. 
they'll know it's you. But it, like you're you want to use this in a social scenario in a crowd. Yeah, absolutely. My I want to one up this before I move on to mine just for a second here. There are a lot of superstitious kind of enemies, uh, goblinoids and orcs and whatnot, who are always looking for omens from their gods. <laughs> Dissonant oh, oh, whispers yeah. might be the way to do that. Absolutely. Um. So mine for bards is feign death. Now, honestly, I normally think about this as a cleric spell, but I love it for bards because bards are always getting in over their heads um, in a big way. You touch a willing creature to put it in a uh, cataleptic state that is indistinguishable from death. This is not concentration. Um, you can do this as a ritual. The range is touch, and it does say a willing creature. I need to point out, you can be that willing creature. You can just say, and I'm dead, and just, like, poke yourself in the forehead. Um, the idea here is that for up to an hour or until you use an action uh, to touch the target and dismiss the spell, so if you do it to yourself, it's an hour, um, then the person that you touch appears dead to all outward inspection and to spells, uh, trying to figure out if they're alive or dead. The target is blinded and incapacitated because they're essentially unconscious uh, and speed drops to zero. But here's the best part. Here's why when people should be using it, this is why I chose this, because a lot of people know it exists and think, what's the point? The target has resistance to all damage except psychic damage. If the target is diseased or poisoned when the spell is cast, or they would become that way, it doesn't actually continue. There's no ill effects for the next hour till the spell ends. So two things. One, when you get hit by the big dragon attack and you are poisoned and like if you are cursed by something that means you're poisoned for a certain amount of time if, if your dm hates you and is using the poison that they found in the dmg this is how you live a little bit longer but also if your eberron airship is crashing and you turn to the dm and say how many rounds before we hit the ground and he says three you run around with your three second level spell slots and go all right, who's not going to be able to survive this? I'm going to leave the barbarian alone. I'm going to leave the freaking monk alone. They'll slow fall. But um, wizard, feign death, half damage. Uh, rogue, feign death, half damage. And as for me, bleep, and down I go, <laughs> right? And then <laughs> you all wake up an hour later among the wreckage. That is, that is brilliant. I, so, I, I look at this as like a cryogenic for an hour. Yeah, right. Like, I really like like you're going to take damage. You are, yeah. but I I do like the fact that this can mitigate the <laughs> the I I'm going to ready my action so that when the dragons uh, takes his big inhale to blow the breath weapon at me and I know I won't survive it, um, thing death, <laughs> Boom, yeah. down I go. <laughs> so everyone will think I'm dead and the dragon will move on and I took. I, I still took 40 damage, but I'm still alive for now. So yeah. I almost like... I love oh, go ahead. Uh, I love this as uh kind of a social spell as well, you know, right? Like you get hired to go kill this person, or uh, you know, there's a bounty out on someone's head. Let's say it's the bard or the rogue, right? And then you go, okay, we're just gonna pretend to kill you, bring you in and get that bounty, right? And then we'll leave again. Yeah. And then you know. There you go. You you got rid of all your wanted posters. I, the the only thing I want to point out here is that it does have to be a willing creature, which means that this is not how you get your paladin to shut the fuck up. Yeah. No, that's okay. that's I, why you don't invite him around. I could see someone doing this in battle. Let's say in warfare, and 
you're just you're you're on a losing side here and you're being all you guys are being slaughtered you suddenly do feign death on yourself and you fall to, to the ground the enemy's just gonna pass over by you thinking you're just one another one of the dead bodies uh d- d- depends on the enemy if it's an intelligent enemy the hobgoblin will walk by the wolf will continue to eat you you you're right absolutely but that's what i'm saying in a warfare yeah. setting yeah so um what do you have for uh for bards kyle uh modify memory i <laughs> say no more. love no. this spell wait wait what did uh, you say right? i forgot modify uh yeah modify <laughs> memory so basically uh you can alter somebody a target's um perception of something that happened within the last 24 hours it can be a 10 minute period and it basically lasts until someone casts remove curse on you and you know it's just like it's gaslighting to the next level and it has so much potential in any sort of social situation, you know, where you are really trying to negotiate something, you know, or uh, you did something dumb and you're trying to make someone forget, like it's, it gives you a great gimme. And besides that, I also love it for, like, I, I've been writing this kind of campaign that basically centers around modify memory because it's just you can fuck people up so good with it and i just love it i i have played with the concept of this between false hydras and the river sticks and shit as well i love playing with with memories um my players have come to grit their teeth whenever memory shit comes up yeah. um because you know what is reality but my favorite <laughs> it's all fantasy my, my my favorite thing about this is that i think it might actually be one of the most evil spells out there oh yeah I like using this spell when I'm talking to my players ahead of time. If I'm using this as a plot point, I want to talk to my I want to talk to one specific player ahead of time and plan this out with them. This is what I would like to do. I'm not going to tell you what the end result is, but this is what I would like to do and this is kind of the direction I am going. Are you on board with this? Because again, the we don't want the players to hate us. Well, Except for Dan. We, we we don't want the players to hate us. We want the characters to hate us, but not the players. Mm, except, except for Dan. And, yeah, I, and hold on. And and Dave. Fair enough. But I want to come at this with the point of, uh, I don't want to do anything that's going to deter them from playing more. I So if I'm using this without them even knowing, and it's just going to completely screw them over, I don't want to do that to my players. I want them to enjoy themselves. Now, if this is going to lead to having fun, sure. But again, I don't want to be an adversarial DM with this. I want to have a plan and know what I'm doing with it. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I right? like I wouldn't. First of all, I wouldn't use this against a player. This is something I would use against NPCs, right? And absolutely, one of the biggest ones I would use it for is trying to get around insight checks, right? So. It, you can't you don't don't know you're lying if you don't know what you're saying is a lie, right? So that's the big one. Yeah. And I think it also helps with like divin divination magic. I mean, obviously you want to leave a you want your players to be able to figure it out in the end, right? That something hey, wait a minute, something's not quite right here. Uh to give them the tools to find out what it is. But you know, I, I just think it is it can help you get out of some tough jams in terms of storylines. How long does it take to cast? One action. Great. 
You know what I use this for as a dungeon master? This is how I get my murder mystery. Because so many players will will just speak with dead. But if in their last second, I hold my action until I see the light going out of their eyes, and with their last raggedy breath, my murderer casts Modify Memory. You do not remember who killed you. Oh, interesting. I like that. So I also would absolutely use this on my players, assuming that they're able to manage um meta knowledge intelligently thing, yeah. and, and respectfully so yeah um i would use I, this for like if they stumble upon a prophecy i will then modify the memory of the characters so the players know and have to watch in slow horror as it happens in front of them and the characters have no idea but oh. that depends on the table right so yeah, yeah. i wish an artificer could learn this because i'd want them to infuse it into an item that they they just click and it's suddenly a bright light shines out is it just men and black people yes um i'm going to move on now to warlock spells um so this is me for cantrips to level one i want the first level spell this is not one that people don't use but it's never their first or second choice and it's one of my favorite for role playing um for warlocks though you only have so many spell slots, so a lot of people rely on the damage kind of stuff, but man, do I love Illusory Script. Illusory Script allows it so that when you write down on um, some sort of writing material that's suitable, you imbue it with a potent illusion that lasts for up to 10 days, where only the people that you designate can read the real message. Everybody else sees something else. I have used this to great effect with my uh, NPCs and my bad guys. When I have a secret bad guy in the midst uh, of my party and they are passing notes back and forth. If you are one of my listeners or one of my players and you are listening to this right now and you you think, oh, we passed a message for that guy that one time. Chances are good he was evil and this was used against you. I do this shit all of the time and I love it. But my favorite part here is that um, you can dispel this when you want, at which point both the original script and the illusion both disappear, which means um, because creatures with true sight can see the the actual message, you can just dispel it, wave a hand, and even the original message is not just the illusion goes away, the original message goes away as well, just to cover your tracks. So I actually there find no this incredibly it. useful. It is gone. Yeah, and I like this. For like the diplomatic side, the the social, I do a lot of intrigue in my campaigns, so this comes into play. Um, I'm probably not going to pick this as my first level spell for my warlock in Lost Mine of Fandelver. Right? There's yeah. there's not a whole lot of opportunity for this. I would almost want to use this for religious, um, a religious intrigue. It could in be religious. Sense- I was also thinking. If I'm on a pirate ship and we are like we have our false flag up, we like it can operate as two flags. Other pirates can see our flag, but but the actual like law enforcement sees the appropriate merchant flag that they're expecting to see, right? Like you get a lot of uses out of this. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. It, it could, does it have to be on a parchment or can it be on any writing surface? It says. Uh, parchment paper or some other suitable writing material, which means, and, and I'm not going to say like it has to be uh, writing. You can draw. You could probably dye things certain colors. Um, I'm going to let you play with this a little bit more. So could it be like on a cave wall or something? Mm-hmm. That's because, suitable. Yeah, absolutely. Because you could write a message on a cave wall that's 
only for people that are looking for a particular treasure that you hid for them to find, but no one else knows it there. Or it could be something as simple as the party split up and you're all getting chased by things. And so you write a message on the wall in the Cobalt Tunnel that says, hey, guys, we went left. And the Cobalt sees, hey, guys, we went right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm going to inherently go left just because. <laughs> I also like the idea of using it, not even trying to pass secret messages, but trying to create discord between two parties of people by giving them a piece of paper and to each one it says something different right mm -hmm. like you are trying to mm, create suspicion amongst a group of people right so you get this piece of paper and one person reads it and says oh you know uh countess blah 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 did this and then another person will be like uh the duke of this other nation did this right yeah I want to ask you guys for the just flavor context on this particular spell. If a person who's reading it that is able to read it, the true thing of it, do they see the false thing as well? Like, do they see it and then it just kind of melds into what it is? Or is it they only see what's actually there? Like, do they are they able to detect that this spell is cast on it? Uh, that's a good question. I at DM discretion, player discretion, okay. like whoever cast this, if you if you wanted to be able. I honestly, I would, I would just have it be, uh, just so you know, it says this for the other guy, right? So, okay, yeah, uh, I, it, I just, that's easy enough yeah. to get around. No, absolutely, but I would just want to, I would want to see if that would have any effect. Like you said, Kyle, having it for that political intrigue that one group sees this and what the other group sees that. Well, do they see the what the fake was and then it blends into the other one, or they only see the one and they try and confer with each other and they both they can't tell which is truth which is lie i think it's uh however you want it because it says it can either appear unintelligible or you can have it appear to be written like in an entirely different hand so you could like copy someone's handwriting yeah but right? but yeah. that's that's for the people that are that are being fooled by it for the people that see the real stuff it says uh the writing appears normal written in your hand and conveys whatever meaning you intended when you wrote the text. Hmm. So that was kind so of the other thing about clear. this. That's the other thing about this that I like is it conveys whatever meaning, which means if you are dealing with language barriers or there's some sort of like um, some sort of political issue where the people are twisting your words or things like that, this gets past that. This is the only way where your intentions are absolutely clear. So. For example, if I'm going to make a genie wish and he says, tell me what you want, I will write it in illusory script, let him see the truth, hand it to him, and there's no, oh, I could have meant this. No, it was very specific. You, you hear him, you hear him that... utter a curse under his breath. Yeah, right. So this is this is how we get around stupid, stupid nonsense like that. Uh, Kyle, what do you have for warlocks? Uh, I picked Spirit Shroud. Uh, so basically, it is along the same lines as the Cleric Spirit Guardians. It's a third level spell. Uh, it's from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, it only costs one bonus action to cast, uh, and it's concentration of up to a minute. So basically, you call forth Spirits of the Dead. They flit around you uh, for the spell's duration. Any attack that you make deals an extra 1d8 damage. Uh, and you can, when you hit a creature within 10 feet of you, so it doesn't have to be uh, a melee or, or necessarily a weapon attack. It could also be a spell attack as well, right? So I don't think you can get it with, no, you can get it with Warlock. Uh, so it'd be a great addition to, you know, Eldritch Blast. Uh, the damage either deals Radiant, Necrotic, or Cold, your choice when you cast the spell. 
and any creature that takes damage can't regain hit points until the start of their next turn. Additionally, any creature uh, that you can see that starts its turn within 10 feet of you has its speed reduced by 10 feet until the start of the next turn. So I really like this because, first of all, it does quite a bit of damage extra. The losing 10 feet of speed is great, but the can't regain hit points, right? That's is, big. Yeah, especially useful when I was like looking at all the creatures that have regeneration and stuff like that. If you don't have any fire spells or radiant spells, it's great. Now, I have a question. Is it only the damage that's inflicted by by this, or is it the total damage this round? Like, it can't heal at all until its next turn. Uh, so whenever you make an attack to a creature within 10 feet of you, it deals an extra 1d8 damage. And so whatever creature takes that 1d8 damage can't regain health. Period. So it's not just the 1d8, it's all damage that they take they can't regain health from. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same either way, isn't it? Well, no, because if it's just the 1d8 damage, that's it. Then all yeah. other damage, they can still heal themselves for all the other damage except that 1d8. But if it's all damage done to them until the next round, then that's big. I'm pretty sure it's all damage. Yeah, I think so too. Based on the wording, I think it's yeah. all damage. Any creature that takes this damage can't regain hit points. Yeah, exactly. So it's so it's... damage from this spell specifically. No, 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 no. The the trigger is that if you took damage from this spell, so that's the trigger. The resulting effect is you cannot regain hit points. Period. Now you can still have temporary hit points applied because you're not regaining them, mm -hmm. but you yeah. can't you can't heal. Yeah, that's still pretty big because if you hit someone with this and then you got a heavy hitters come in afterwards, they can't heal from that. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? Like, they're getting right down near the end. You got that big bad, and you got someone that fucking loves to heal. You know, this is... this I is. Know. I really like it. This is, as a DM, how I deal with my Twilight Cleric. Yeah. <laughs> so for mine, for the level four, level five, I actually picked an interesting one called Shadow of Moyle. And the only reason I know about this one is because one of my characters, uh, one of my players used this, and I had to look this up. And I think it's really great. Essentially, as soon as you cast it, you have flame-like shadows wreathe all over your body. You're covered in this shadows, essentially. And anything that's within 10 feet of you dims that light down, whatever it is. If you're in a shadowy area, it turns to darkness. If you're in bright light, it turns to dim light. And when this is the case, you become heavily obscured to others. In addition to this, you have resistance to radiance damage. And also any creatures that are within 10 feet of you, if they hit you with it, an attack, they are going to take uh, 2d8 damage. Now, this doesn't say that it's uh, as a reaction. No, every time someone attacks you, you take they take 2d8 damage. Uh, one thing I really like about this, and it just briefly says it that it's uh, causing you to become heavily obscured to others. Have you guys ever looked at the rules for that when something is heavily obscured? Yeah, we did We did an episode on, on cover and light. And... Exactly. Yeah. So essentially any attacks against you are at disadvantage. Yeah. When this is cast upon you, so you've essentially any any attacks against you are a disadvantage because you are heavily obscured. They can't completely see you. The the thing that's so fucky about this is that <clears throat> if you get hit um by an attack, the shadows lash out and do damage, right? Yes. You don't roll for that. They just do it. The only yeah. roll you're making is your concentration roll. Yeah. And Correct. regardless, you will lose concentration, but it, this will still happen, right? Yep. 
Absolutely. So this is one of the handful of cases where you actually get to do automatic damage. Which is one thing I really like about this. Now, yeah. I also like this in a social setting too, not just within combat. But you guys ever think of the movies where you see a scene of someone getting close to something and the, the light kind of dims around them? That's what this spell is. The, you're kind of getting close to someone and they're going to get freaked out because the light is disappearing around them. Mm. And how does this work for intimidation? How does this work for in a social setting? I, I got to say, if I can be perfectly honest, I'm a little weirded out by the fact that this isn't like available for shadow sorcerers. This just feels like it really freaking should be. It it's great really for does. warlocks. But it feels like it should be. Yeah, I, I would, I would even, I would almost say that if my character was delving really into it and they said, "Can I do this?" I would say, "You know what? Absolutely. I will grant you the ability to use this as a fourth level spell because it suits it so fine." All right, let's move away from warlocks for a second here and uh, look at clerics. Uh, okay, so Cantor's first level, I pick Sanctuary, uh, which is a first level spell, and basically you can force people to target you. Um, instead of their original target uh, if they fail a wisdom saving throw, which honestly is a great spell if you have a bunch of low-level squishies or you are going, you know, Forge Cleric where you've fucking, you got 22 AC and you want somebody uh, and you want to get them away from the Barbarian that is walking around with a 16 AC, right? Uh, you just push them all towards you. And it only costs one bonus action, so you still get the rest of your turn, honestly, and no concentration either. It's just a minute duration. This is intense because there are so few things that are a bonus action for clerics. Yes. Another thing I would say with this spiritual weapon. Yeah. So sanctuary, it dissipates if you attack someone, correct? Mm, No. If the warded creature makes an attack. Yeah, Yeah, not the warded creature. That infects an enemy or deals damage to another creature. Exactly. Not you, but the other guy. So what if you were to be placing someone who is just simply buffing everyone else? Yeah. They could do that, having this on them, and keep it on them. Yeah, you get your bard, where they're just giving away inspiration. Absolutely. Or what if you're in a social setting? Sorry, I love taking things out of combat and trying to put it into the other pillars. If you're in a social setting that you know is it's going to get bad, you just put this on somebody who's trying to dissuade the situation, then all of a sudden it goes bad. They try and attack it. Oh, they have sanctuary on them. Mm-hmm. And it gives them a chance to get out. I like this for, for really hostile situations. When you have to send you know, your bard, the face of the party, in to go negotiate with the hostile chief or whatever right and everybody else is pointing their weapons at him ready to let loose with their arrows and spears and whatnot uh, sanctuary is, is you send them in alone with sanctuary exactly. right how long does it last last for just a minute but if i can be honest um I, I i very rarely end up with a like super long conversations um when it's a quick negotiation that's that hostile you can also just prep an action too right like if things turn dirty yeah. Cast Sanctuary. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's quick. Uh, what do you have for clerics, Tyler? So I have a third level spell here called Aura of Vitality. Now, first and foremost, there's not enough auras in D&D 5th edition. There are not enough. So the fact that I have this, oh, this makes my heart happy. And not only that, it's not something that does damage to other people, but it heals people. You, you essentially cast this on you, and anyone who's within a 30-foot radius of you... uh. For up to a minute that's per, that you, it's cast on you, uh, anyone who comes within 30 feet gains 2d6 hit points. 
Now that may not. This is just Twilight Cleric light. Yeah. Well, you have to use a bonus action to give them that health. Yes, you have to use your bonus action to do it. Um, But at the same time, it's it's two d six of of hit points. That's better than healing word. It's better than cure wounds. And it Mm. and it lasts up to a minute. You can continually do it every round using your bonus action to heal someone around you that is within a 30 foot radius potentially up to 20 d6 this uh this threw me for a bit of a loop and for any listeners out there that don't own tashes yes this is a paladin spell in tashes this got expanded to be optional cleric spells as well so it it does count i did have to look that up for a second i was like what but yeah that's when i saw it for the cleric i'm like i like how they did this it gives it more versatility yeah because there are you have your clerics with heavy armor who are going to be up in the middle of battle and they suddenly cast this and then everyone on the front lines is also getting this healing or at least you can choose this is a no-brainer this is great and i think that the reason that people aren't picking this is because it's in one of the additional books right if this was in the player's handbook this would be an automatic go-to for what level spell is this this is a level three spell yeah yeah that feels pretty powerful i mean it's up against things like revivify for clerics um but i think it's spiritual warriors spirit warriors level three as well spiritual guardians yeah spiritual that's Guardian. level three yeah, yeah all right there we go so it's been a long ass time since i played a cleric i don't really get clerics in my games now that i think about it who wants to play clerics those are the cl- those are the class that no one wants to play but that's one of the most useful uh i love clerics personally yeah but I think the I thing is between 3.5 and 5, they really got kind of, they used to be like healer class, right? They used to be great. But now druids are a better healer than. Uh, unless unless you're a life cleric. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I played a life cleric one time and you know what happened? You know what happened? Huh? 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 Eaten by a thousand rats. <laughs> you probably oh. had it coming. Um, <laughs> for my cleric spell, I picked a fourth level spell instead of a fifth because this really stood out to me. Um, you guys know, um, do you guys know Curse of Strahd at all? Have you played it? I don't know him personally. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it. There's a spell called Daylight. Um, and here's the damn thing about Daylight is when you cast it, it does radiant and yay, light and whatnot. It absolutely does not do sunlight. And sunlight is the thing that you need against Strahd and vampires to make it so that they can't resurrect. They need to be in sunlight. Well, in Xanathar's, there's a fourth level spell for clerics called Dawn, and it's nuts. Um, a light, the light of Dawn shines down in a location you specify within range. It's 30 foot radius, 40 foot high cylinder of bright light. It says right in the spell, this light is sunlight. It does 4d10 radiant damage when they fail a constitution save or half as much um, if they succeed on it. And they also have to make the save if they end their turn in the cylinder. Here's the best part. It's got 60-foot range, but if you're within 60 feet of the cylinder, you can move it up to 60 feet as a bonus action on your turn, which means it costs an action to do this. Bang, I dropped it on them. Everybody takes damage. And then I'm also going to move it 60 feet. So if I put it with the radius, the 30-foot radius at, at 60 feet, I can then move it not within 60 feet, but another 60 feet further away. So I'm, I can technically hit something 135 feet from me. Yeah. I then have to haul my ass back over to it to be able to move it again on the next turn. I'm going to I'm gonna have to dash to do it. But I really like this because you can fuck up Strahd something fierce with this. 
And if you have not looked into this in Xanathar's and you are playing Strahd and you're a cleric, you are missing the fuck out. I saw this and went, we no longer need the sun sword. I just have this fifth level spell. So I hope my characters, I hope my players are not listening to this because we're going to be starting a Strahd campaign in about a month. Well, here you go. Make sure that none of them pick cleric. (laughs) Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to say. Like, this is the the cheapest, easiest sunlight spell that I could find. Um, and because it's only fifth level, you will get this by the end of Curse of Strahd. A lot of the other sunlight stuff that's out there, you don't get in time, right? Yeah, so, this is uh one that you can get in time. Yeah. Let's uh let's jump on to druids for a moment. All right. So the one that I found for druids, I I've never played a druid before. And so I looked up this one and it's called Primal Savagery. I was, I love flavor and this certainly gives flavor because it is a, uh, I believe it's a cantrip. Yeah, it's a cantrip. And you essentially cause your teeth and your fingernails to sharpen and you can deliver a corrosive attack with it. So whenever you hit someone with your fingernails or your teeth, so you can actually literally bite somebody. You can be a humanoid that bites. The target takes 1d10 of acid damage. And after you're done, your teeth and your fingernails return to normal. Now, I find this is really cool. It it looks really fun, but imagine what you could do for assassination type of things. Because this spell also increases in damage by 1d10 uh, when you reach the 5th level, 11th level, and 17th level. 17th level, you're at 4d10. I would almost want to see someone kind of come from the side with this and someone who's not expecting it. They transmute their hand and just kind of stick it in somebody's side, these claws, and deal this damage. See, I've always wanted to play a shifter druid with lycanthropy so that I can just run the gamut of of primal savagery, all the weird things that shifters do, beast form, and then I can actually just turn into a fucking wolf or a werewolf. Like, I, I can just do whatever I like. I'm leaning so hard into very much one flavor. And I think that it would be fun for a whopping 10 sessions. However, I, it's so flavorful. And I get to just, what version of wolf am I going to be today? Right? I just think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. One thing I like about the this ultimate too. furry. <laughs> yes. One thing I like about this is it gives you 1d10 for an attack. At, if you're at first level, and you're a druid now sure you could take shillelagh shillelagh whatever however you want to say it this does more damage than that shillelagh is definitely the more popular one that i've seen everybody take exactly but shillelagh is what 1d8 i believe yeah and it requires you to have something that can turn into that weapon right whereas this is just you yourself you yourself and it's 1d10 of acid damage now given given those some things that are resistant to acid damage but there's other things that are not resistant to yeah, acid there, There's not much. Acid is one of the good ones. Exactly. Right? So so the fact of the matter that you can use this and it's hidden on you. You don't need a quarter staff. You don't need anything. In fact, you could have your uh you could have whatever you're casting your spells with you on you in one hand. And then I, you could just I always have a general um a general rule for my characters that they always just hide a blade somewhere on them so that when i get my hands bound i can cut my way out don't need that with with um primal savagery yeah and i like that 
I just love the flavor that it can be your teeth. You can literally bite somebody and you're not a vampire. Yeah. I, find, I find the acid damage part weird. I find it doesn't fit, right? Like why is your, why are your nails and your teeth suddenly doing acid damage? Oh, oh no, because no it's doing, it's doing corrosive damage. It's kind of like a damage you'd be from a snake almost. Yeah, but that I would be it. like, that is literally necrosis. You would think that would be necrotic be damage. Necrotic, yeah. yeah. It, it is weird, but you know what? I'll take it. Um, there's not enough acid damage there there's not enough acid damage especially for, at the cantrip level oh you have acid gosh. splash and that's it right yeah, yeah i think if i take splashes. a druid i'm taking this instead of shillelagh 100 so for mine for druids uh i picked a second level spell called Skyrite. it's very simple and incredibly effective at what it does um you get to use 10 words uh to form in a part of the sky that you can see they look like they're made out of cloud and they remain in place for as long as uh, up to an hour as long as you're concentrating. Um, when the spell ends, they go away. A strong wind can disperse the clouds as well, ending the spell. So um, this, this passes my, well, how are we going to get a message back to the kingdom? It's easy. It'd be like, there are orcs coming. <laughs> it's written hey, those in Those clouds, clouds look interesting. But here's the other thing. It doesn't say that you have to speak the language, which means I can tell the orcs that Groomsh is mad at them. This is Groomsh. Go home. Maybe you're doing like pictographs in the sky that it just tells them what it is. Interesting. But wouldn't you have to, you would have to speak the language for them to see it, right? You would only have to be able to mimic it, right? Like you don't have to speak the language. You could just, if someone were to say, here's this piece of parchment, this is what this says, put this up in the sky, you can do it. So someone else in your party can speak the language, then you can do this. Yeah. So all it says is you cause up to 10 words to form. The only the, the only deal is you have to pick a part of the sky that you can see. So, you know, not useful underground. This is not going to be great in pandemonium, but I think that this would be absolutely freaking flavorful and amazing for undoing, for sending omens, for, for undoing the marching army, for causing shit to just to to have an extra level of superstition i was what was i talking about before with this it was oh dissonant whispers right it's the same kind of kerfuckery with the enemy that i really like um it's not going to work for a lot but when it does work it's going to be amazing and it's a great way to when your party is going to go do two separate things they split the party um you know to opposite sun, uh, sides of the city they can pass a message back and forth without needing sending or any of the other huge spells right so yeah skyride is, is a lot of fun i also think that it'd be really fun um i know that this is for druids but uh bards get this too and i can just picture this being like come see my show at the bar tonight <laughs> right it can, like, it can be their marketing campaign or also like um uh hagar the druid sucks balls yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm wondering is can it is it only going to be letters and like writing or can it be like images or or um, it's specifically symbols? it specifically says up to 10 words okay so not symbols or anything like that no what's a hieroglyph yeah, exactly. I, will, I will i will let you argue with me as if i'm a dm so yeah uh, i have no problem because i want to play with the superstition aspect and put a symbol in the air that another tribe might consider incredibly superstitious or a sign of attack yeah oh, but <laughs> I just like the idea of, well, well, we can't actually draw black crows in clouds, so we're just going to write the words, three black crows in orc, see if they yeah. figure it out. Right. 
I also would love to see I, the. You could have a druid to do this, but more likely a bard just shape a cloud into a middle finger. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Is I was thinking like you could put a giant like you're you're not going to be able to to do graffiti dicks in the sky, right? No, like exactly. I'm like so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Kyle, what do you have for for druids? Uh, I I picked Wrath of Nature, which is a fifth level spell. It's kind of actually insane. I mean, it's very situational, right? But if you are out in a forest, the thing is just. It's almost too good for a fifth level spell. So it's basically a concentration. And in a 60 foot cube centered on a point you choose, um, you get a number of different effects. So with grasses and undergrowth, any area of ground in the cube uh, that is covered by grass or undergrowth is difficult terrain for your enemies. Trees lash out um, at the start of each of your turns. So you get to pick one enemy within 10 feet of any tree and they make a deck save or they take 46 slashing damage. Then at the end of each of your turns, one creature of your choice that's on the ground in the cube has to make a strength saving throw or become restrained until the spell ends. And a restrained creature can make a saving throw, blah, 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 you know, that normal stuff. And then also as a bonus action on your turn, uh, you can choose loose rock in the cube to launch at a creature you can see within the cube. So you make a ranged spell attack dealing 3d8 non-magical bludgeoning damage. And it must succeed on a strength saving throw or full prone. So difficult terrain, you get to uh, whip one creature with a tree. Then you can also restrain another creature. And then you can also shoot a rock at somebody on the same turn. It's beautiful and I love it. Yeah, I would definitely use this for a villain. Absolutely. Yeah. Or just yeah. someone who's really pestery and just throws rocks at you and has the rest of this happen at you from high ground. It's like, yeah. stop it, stop it. Ow, dang it, stop it. You don't even know what's going on. It's just all of a sudden this thing springs up and then rocks start shooting at you. Trees start whipping you. I feel like any kind of angry dryad is going to have this spell, even though yes. it's way more powerful than a dryad. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, like this will just the forest will just be able to manifest this sometimes when you're in the Feywild. Yeah. Oh, like it feels yeah. like a layer action almost. Right. Yeah. I I I love this. This is phenomenal. This, well, that's a great choice. Where, which book is that from? That's from Xanathar's. Yeah. Uh, the too cool to be player's handbook. Yeah. All right. Well, for the last part of our conversation here, we're going to look at the half casters, and uh, just their first three levels of spells. Because that takes us all the way into tier three. And remember, these guys don't get cantrips. So this is kind of the same power scale as the one to five for the full casters. Um, the, we're going to start off with Paladin. And the, I guess, I, oh, I'm going first on this one. Okay, so I picked probably my favorite spell in the whole damn game. And that is Ceremony. I don't know why I love this so much. I had this when I was a cleric as well. But I love this for Paladins because... You're essentially doing a special religious ceremony, but it's magical. You get to choose what kind of ceremony, what rites you're doing when you cast the spell. Um, the casting time is one hour because you're literally officiating a ritual. You can either cast uh, Atonement, where one willing creature whose alignment has changed, you reach out and touch them. You make a insight check with the DC 20. And on a successful check, you restore them to their original alignment. Uh, this is good because there's some shit in the deck of many things that can shift alignments. Um, there's uh, Bless Water, which is pretty straightforward. You touch one vial of water and cause it to become holy water. Um, just pointing out here, for a first level spell, 
Again, if you're playing Curse of Strahd, that is insane. Every time you have a yeah. first level spell left over at the end of your, like, and you're going into a long rest, it is time to cast Ceremony on a vial of water. Coming of age, yeah. where you get to touch one humanoid um, who is a young adult, and for the next 24 hours, uh, whenever they make an ability check, they can roll a d4 and add that to the ability check, but this only applies to each creature once in their lives, so it's essentially Mazel Tov. Dedication, where you touch one humanoid who wishes to be dedicated to your god's service. So, like, if you can convert somebody, this is how you do it. Uh, whenever they make a saving throw for 24 hours, they can roll a d4 and add it, just the same as the coming of age. Um, and again, they only do this once. Funeral rites. You touch one corpse, and that corpse, for the next week, cannot become undead by anything short of a wish spell. And then wedding, you touch two adult humanoids willing to be bonded together in marriage, and for the next seven days, each one of them gets a plus two bonus to AC when they're within 30 feet of each other, and they can only benefit from this right again if they're widowed. So I <laughs> love that the ceremony doesn't believe in divorce. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> that that that's, that's called becoming a widow, because one of you is dead. Yeah. <laughs> So I really like this. It's really, really flavorful, and it never comes up. So I'm always looking to use this in downtime. This is what I, I want to have for when the DM says, hey, what are you guys doing in your when you're back in town? And everyone goes off to the bar. I'm going to go perform some ceremonies. I've got a number of first-level spell slots left. Let's see what I can do to ingratiate myself with the public here and... Uh, and I can become a member of this community. Yeah. I also love that the wedding gives you plus two to AC. Like, what? Yeah. Like, it's what a temp- weird bonus. I, I, I feel like it should be like temporary hit points or like yeah. uh, so something to do with or, charisma. Uh, yeah, but... advantage on charisma saves or something yeah. like that. But uh, I'll oh, take man. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? Now I really want to make a uh, like Vegas wedding preacher. <laughs> Dress as Elvis. Around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, like I, I really like this. It's super flavorful. I'm not sure I can recommend everybody takes this, but as a paladin walking in as a like pillar of justice and goodness, yeah, like it's it it's a fun way to get in touch with the community that isn't yeah. just you standing there going, "Hey, follow the fucking laws," right? Yeah. So it also gets them. It gets the player out of the whole rut of I'm only able to do stuff in combat. That's all I can do. Yeah. Yeah. This this connects you to your village. Also, in a lot of medieval times and and early on, like there were traveling preachers and that was a big deal. So there would be people like waiting. Your party shows up and someone can actually do these rituals. There might be a lineup of young couples waiting to be married. I believe that was called a friar. Sorry? That was called a friar. Yeah. But like there's a lot of that traveling preacher stuff going on. It's great oh, yeah. for clerics, but paladins coming in to just like come help as well, especially with like lay on hands, curing diseases and things as well. There's a lot of downtime stuff to do if you take ceremony. I could yeah. definitely see a paladin with a background of an acolyte doing this. Yeah, yeah. The only the only thing is you've got a it's a religious ceremony. You have to choose a god, right? And you don't have to for paladins of fifth ed. But I mean, why wouldn't you? I think it's I think it's awesome. I I as Kyle, I see your idea here as a Vegas. Uh, a Vegas preacher going around and rather than them believing God, they just say, wait, who's your God that you believe in? Yeah. Okay. By this God, I, uh, we, I instill this upon you. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, 
I, I never understood why we can't have preachers of pantheons, right? It's always got to be one god of the pantheon. But, I mean, let's say that there are three sister goddesses in the pantheon, and I pray to this one. Yeah, that's my goddess. I clearly believe the other two exist. Mm-hmm. Why Why can I not do rituals on their behalves as well, right? Like, yeah. depends on the religion, depends on how you run your your uh your world but i would totally like i would let that be a thing where i am a preacher uh a paladin a cleric whatever of this pantheon or this aspect of the pantheon kyle what do you have for uh for paladins okay i picked prayer of healing because it is just so much better than cure wounds and it's only a second level spell but and granted it does take 10 minutes to cast so you're not gonna be able to do it in combat but i mean cure wounds is 1d8 plus your spellcasting modifier whereas prayer healing you get and on one creature whereas prayer healing is you get to pick up to six creatures and it deals 2d8 right plus no brainer yep 1d8 for every level you cast above it right like why would you ever pick your wounds it's like god awful spell now I'm is just that wondering... 2d8 each character or is that in total hit points you distribute no per character Plus your spellcasting modifier. Now, it, it okay. takes you a while to get second level spells, and you don't get many of them as a half caster, but this feels like it's absolutely freaking worth it. Yeah. When does Lay on Hands regenerate? Is that short rest or long rest? I think it's long rest, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, long rest. Yeah, it replenishes on a long rest. Yeah. Okay, yeah, this is an amazing way to boost that up too, right? Because you're going to use this during short rests. Yeah. Oh, wait, am I going to use it during short rests? Oh, I I think you I think you absolutely would. Like this is Oh yeah. This is absolutely especially if you have someone else who's casting catnap, so a uh, short rest takes 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody huddle around, close your eyes for a minute, doze a little bit. When you wake up, you'll feel roughly 2d8 better. Uh Tyler, what do you got for level 3 for paladins? All right, level 3, I have a fun spell here called magic circle and very quickly this is just a 10 foot radius cylinder of magical energy that's hieroglyphs all over glowing throughout this 20 foot tall cylinder that's this 10 foot radius and you can choose i believe it is i think it's fey fey fiends celestials elementals or undead any one of those five you choose and though and whatever you choose that creature cannot enter into that cylinder by any non-magical means and any that try to do it through magical way or through interplane of travel or whatever have to succeed on a charisma saving throw now any attack that is put against the disadvantage that are trying to attack through it and if they're within it they can't be charmed frightened or possessed by a creature which is real big when it comes to the undead like ghosts and such now here's my favorite part of this spell my absolute favorite part is you can reverse it yeah that you put it on something and they can't get out so if you have undead that you want to just trap you just place this on them and then they suddenly cannot get out of this cylinder Uh, they literally are are stuck inside it Mm -hmm. and this is this is pretty big i would say for any of these five, if you look in a trap. Now, it is one minute to cast it, but I'm not going to use this in battle. I'm going to use this for exploration and for social, is what I'm using this primarily for. It might turn into battle, but I'm using this before battle starts or to try and diffuse a situation. If I, if I can be perfectly honest, I saw this used 
in Supernatural, the show, over and over and over again with Undead, where they would salt in a circle around them. And I would absolutely let them use salt as one of the components. It says holy water, powdered silver, or iron, worth at least 100 gold pieces. But, like, I will let you use use salt on this yeah. like flavor it yeah it's so flavorful um and yeah. maybe especially if it's some different salt. some different for each kind of creature right yeah like iron for the fae yeah and salt for undead and uh, silver for i don't know silver for fiends i guess yeah, i guess, I guess so. yeah no i wonder when it says fiends does it mean uh i guess that it is all devils and demons uh yeah it's more than just that it's also all yugoloths and all the generic ones like Rakshasas yeah. and night hags as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was talking about drug addicts. <laughs> but I just love this for the versatility that you can do with this. That it's not just protecting yourself. You essentially become a walking jailer. Again, this is a great spell to have when you're playing Curse of Strahd. Yes. You can I trap it, Strahd in this. I think it's a great conjunction spell, right? So you set it up, you upcast it so it lasts for more than an hour, and then you summon a creature inside it, right? And then you you put wall of like wall of flame in it, right? Like yeah, yeah. You, you can't leave, and we're burning the whole place to the ground, right? Or you fill it full of water, create and destroy water, right? Like there's there's ways you can do this. Or hold on, what was it? Was Fey fiends, elementals, celestials, and undead? There are going to be some Fey that require. That like that have the necessity uh, the necessity to breathe right so you put this underwater and summon them in it right yeah. you can summon a fire elemental into an underwater scenario with magic circle around them right now I do have a question here though it says a ten foot radius twenty foot tall cylinder is it capped at the top or can they get always. It? Yeah, this is sealed. You cannot fly out the top of a magic circle. Okay. Yeah, yeah the same way that, like, I'm not going to let you dig your way down and out either. Fair enough. Um, Let's see. Let's move on to ranger spells. Kyle, what do you have? Uh, I I mean, honestly, I don't know if it's uh, over, like, underutilized, but it's Hunter's Mark. I mean, I, I, it's the only first level spell I would really take with a ranger i mean zephyr strike is pretty good too but hunter's mark is just you deal 1d6 extra damage you get advantage on tracking this creature and then it lasts for an hour so once that creature dies you can just switch it over to a new creature right you're just constantly getting that extra damage for every attack you're doing the only downside is that you do have to kill the creature before you can switch targets on who it is so if you got a dm that loves running monsters away Right. He you cast Hunter's Mark on one and it disappears. Well, then you're just kind of screwed and stuck with it. No, it's great for tracking. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I think that's the underutilized part of it. Everybody wants it for the damage for the extra D6. But I've seen this used to great effect where like there, there's a chase through the market. Right. Or there's a chase through the wilderness and we just drop Hunter's Mark on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, congratulations. You will stop eventually and then we will show up. Right. Like it's. It only lasts for an hour, but usually, like, nobody's sprinting for an hour, right? So, yeah. So, let him go. Let's go get our mounts. We'll get him, right? I know where he is. So, um, what do you have for rangers? Oh, wait. What I have here is, I haven't seen this used much, beast sense. And essentially, you can touch a willing beast, and then as long as the spells last, you can see through their eyes and hear what it hears. 
and continue to do so uh, until well, either until you stop it or up to an hour. It's concentration. Now, while this is happening, you're blinded and deafened yourself. But this is great for exploratory purposes. They you do this, and then they can go survey. You can see no one's going to suspect whatever creature you're seeing through. Now, I wonder you could probably do this also in conjunction with speak with animals, so you can tell them what to do, and then they go and you see through them. Yeah, I I feel like this is a you can use a couple spells here to get the feel of a temporary familiar. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. I just think it's a really fun way of uh, exploring. Mine is a little bit more mechanical than what you guys come up with. It's level three, and it's from Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, um, and it's uh, a Shardalon's Stride. If I can be honest, you should really just fucking pick this one. It might be the best one that I've pointed out so far. Um, I almost picked it for another one of our the categories. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for artificers, rangers, sorcerers, and wizards. But the idea here is that the billowing flame of a dragon blast uh, comes from your feet. You not only get increased movement of 20 feet per round um, for up to a minute, it's concentration, uh, but you don't provide opportunity attacks. This only takes a bonus action to cast, which means you can attack and then use this to cast your your Ashardalon stride and then retreat. And here's the thing, when you move within five feet of any creature or object that isn't being carried or worn, then the object or the creature takes 1d6 fire damage from your trail of heat. Now, they only take it once per turn, but did you notice how there's not a save? That's just auto damage. Auto damage. And you can run between people and hit many creatures all at once. So it can act as an area of effect. If you were with your 20 feet additional movement speed, and if you are something like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a, um, Aarakocra that's mm-hmm. flying, cause it doesn't say that you have to walk for this to, to, to happen. You just leave a trail of flame from your feet. So now oh, you're yeah. moving 70 feet in a round because you're flying two feet above the, the ground and just hitting everything on the battlefield and then fucking off. Now, yeah. You use your action to cast this, correct? Nope, bonus action. So I wonder, could you dash? Yeah, absolutely you could. (laughs) There we go. Oh boy. (laughs) You're just choosing to dash, weaving your way in and out of everywhere. But remember, it lasts up to a minute with your concentration, um, and they take damage once per turn. So assuming they're not readying actions to hit you on the way by, you can just literally run in circles around the whole battlefield and hit everybody for 1d6 fire damage that they cannot stop. There's no save. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That is OP. I love it. It's absolutely wild, and I'm amazed more people aren't talking about it. Let's jump into the last class uh, of this episode here, and that is the Artificer, or as Terry says, the Artificer. So for my first level spell, I wanted to go more on the comedic side of things because this just seems so good. I'm choosing Catapult, and when I think of an Artificer... This just fits so well. Essentially, you are allowed to launch anything one to five pounds up 90 feet in the air in whatever direction you choose. And then after that, it falls to the ground. Or if it hits something, well, it obviously stops early. It doesn't keep going. But I really like this because if it falls on top of a creature, they have to make a dexterity throw. uh, Or if it stops, they have to do that. And if the object hits something or someone, it takes 3d8 bludgeoning damage on a failed save. 3d8 is not nothing for a level one spell. 
No, not yeah. at all. But I'm going to take this a little further. An artificer, let's say you're an alchemist and you create a potion, uh, some, something with acid in it and you launch this into the air and let's say it hits something before it shatters the vial. All of this spews, it rains down. I, I, have, I have to be honest. I was just Googling the weight of both a gnome and a kobold and they are both more than five pounds and I am upset. Uh, not until you, uh, once you cast reduce on them though. Yeah, so I was just thinking you cast reduce on them. <laughs> Just just tiny little blood splatters on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> All the different gnomes that you just had enough of. <laughs> but I love the idea of uh, for an artificer being able to launch its creations into the air. Yeah, like, that's fun. Pull! Yeah, I do like the idea of throwing uh, or shooting a vial of alchemist fire acid at a creature too. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this though. What you really need to do is pick up a bag of ball bearings because you got mm -hmm. a thousand of them. And yeah. you always have ammo. No, I guess yeah, you can launch it 90 feet in any direction. So I guess it can be straight on. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking more of a launching alchemy fire or acid uh, upwards at an angle. So it rains down. But yeah, you can do it straight forward too. You just created not just a catapult, you created a cannon. Oh, you know what? You combine this with magic stone. Hey, there you go. Because that magic stone is a bonus action too. Yep. Yeah, so that'll do it. Deal. 1d6 plus your spellcasting modifier plus 3d8 bludgeoning damage. <laughs> oh boy. Um, for mine, for the Artificer, I came up with something that was, this is a utility spell, and it's weird that we didn't get it until Spelljammer. Um, but it is Air Bubble. And Artificers, Druids, Rangers, Sorcerers, and Wizards get access to this. But essentially, you create a spectral globe around your head, or, or around the head of a willing creature, you can see within range. Uh, and that range is 60 feet. It takes an action to cast, but it's only a somatic component. And for the next 24 hours, there's fresh air in this bubble around their head. If the creature has more than one head, there's rules for it. But I mean, I don't think that's coming up a lot for players. The idea here is that they would all need a different uh, bubble, assuming that they have different respiratory systems. But if they only have the one main one, then it should be fine like a Hydra. It only needs one, but... You can upcast this so that uh, when you use a spell slot of third level or higher, you can create two additional globes of fresh air for each spell slot above second. So that's an additional two per. So if you cast this at fourth level, chances are good you've covered the whole party. At fifth level, you've got party and sidekicks and maybe even mounts, right? Now, this was Spelljammer because we need to breathe in space. And sure, but this is also really good for underwater shit. And I feel like if you're playing Ghost of Saltmarsh or you're doing some underwater campaigns or pirate this is campaigns, how you breathe. yeah, this is. Yeah. And honestly, it's so useful that I would put this on items as an artificer and hand it out to people so that they can just activate their air bubble. How does the air bubble dissipate? Like, can you hit it and it goes away, or does it stay? No, it, there's there are zero rules for this. All so it says if, is that um, the globe is filled with fresh air that lasts until the spell ends. So I'm wondering, what if you were to put this around someone who doesn't breathe air, and they are literally suffocating within the bubble? Well, they. Well, you mean like if, uh, like if a, you're like underwater. Fish? Well, no. If you, yeah, if you're underwater and you have any creature that cannot uh, breathe or has trouble breathing air, you put them in this for 24 hours oh yeah 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 you you would you would kill something with gills yeah. but there are not a whole lot of underwater only creatures in fifth edition except for like straight up fish so yeah so kyle you've got the last one 
yeah, so Artificer doesn't have a whole lot of third level spells. So choices were a little bit limited, but I went with Blink because I think yeah. it is just it's just a fun spell, right? You're here and then you're not. So you can avoid all attacks when it's not your turn. You do have to roll a d20. It lasts for a minute, no concentration. And if you roll above an 11 on the d20, you basically just disappear to the ethereal plane until the start of your next turn. You can still kind of see what's going on, but it's in shades of gray kind of thing. It's just, yeah, bloop, do your attacks and then bloop, disappear again. That is fun. Yeah. Beauty. I look, blink is blink is a lot of fun. It's it's honestly twice as good as wink. All right. <laughs> is it is that a, that's not a real spell, right? No, that's not a real spell. No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> if you say it with like, enough I... conviction, you will confuse your players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um any anything like Blink is is a lot of fun. Um, especially for artificers too. Because they don't have a whole lot of I don't believe they have a whole lot of teleportation shit or a lot yeah. of here one moment, gone the next. So um their shit is usually usually damage based or like really utilitary. So that's that's or sorry, utility based. So that's interesting. That's fun. Um, now I want I want a spell called Wink, where if your eyes are closed, you can't take damage. <laughs> uh, no, if you can't, the no, Wink just gives you advantage on charisma checks. Okay, I cast, oh, I cast yeah. Wink right. on myself, and everybody loves me just a little bit more. Um, all right. So before we wrap this episode up, let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideals with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic, where we keep a place for you to ask mailbag questions as well as our episode guide. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. Okay, everyone. So let's choose one spell that someone else picked this episode that stands out to them as a clear unsung hero. Let's grab dice so you can't pick your own. Eight. Five. Four. Hey, I'm going first. Um, Clearly my favorite one is Nature's Wrath that, that Kyle picked for the Druid. There's just so much shit I'm going to do with that. That is going to be lair actions for dryads and treants. It's going to be all over the Feywild. It's going to, like, I just, I love it. I love it. I have had enough druids in my games that I'm pissed that I've never seen this chosen. I agree. It is really fun. Uh, if I had to choose one, though, it would actually have to be uh, a Shardolin Stride. Oh, it's so powerful. It is so powerful. And I'd want to see what other casters that can use this as well. But that is, I just, I never even knew about that. So, uh, yeah, I might be using that. A Shardolin Stride is for Artificer Ranger. It's, it's a weird one. Artificer Ranger sorcerer wizard i would want to make an artificer that can do that and it's iron man yeah, yeah. uh for me honestly i'm gonna go with feign death because i've passed over that spell countless times i've never really given it a second thought i was like when am i ever actually gonna use that but now today i think there's a, there's a lot of untapped potential that i never really thought of before so that's all for our discussion on the forgotten spells in fifth edition Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. 
This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Hey, this is normally the part of the podcast where we have a bunch of bloopers that happen. Uh, but for some reason, we were really on our A-game and no bloopers were available. So, good for us. Anyway, I'd like to point out that it is nearly Christmas. And if you are like my D&D table, we tend to do a bit of a gift exchange. I want to reach out to everyone and say, I know the standard of buying dice or getting that cute little dice bag that has whatever your secret Santa's character class is. Or maybe you're just given elf ears or one of the standard D&D gifts. But if you've got a little bit of a bigger budget, if you are thinking about giving a special gift to someone who loves D&D, I want to recommend a handful of books that might not be on the radar. Of course, the monsters know what they're doing. The monsters still know what they're doing. Or sorry, no, it's not. I know what you did last summer. More of the monsters know what they're doing. Um, there's the book Live to Tell the Tale and How to Defend Your Lair. Live to Tell the Tale is the one for players. Everything else is meant for DMs. They're all by Keith Amon. They're all available online. These are all great books for tactics and, and learning a little bit more about how to play your character. If you're not thinking about that and you want something a little bit more relaxed, more chill, but still very much in the vein of D&D, if they like cooking, there's Hero's Feast. If they like drinking, there's Dungeon Master, a drink master's guide. If you're into Call of Cthulhu, there's the Necro Nom 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 Nom, a cookbook of Eldritch Horror. And if you would like to be drinking your way through your Call of Cthulhu games, then there's Lovecraft Cocktails, Elixirs and Libations from the lore of H.P. Lovecraft. These are all books that are available on Amazon right now. You can go out and get them. This is an unpaid advertisement. They're all just things that I've run across in the bookstore or I've been able to flip through at somebody else's house or I've bought them myself. And I think that they're all fantastic. They're great, unique little Christmas gifts without necessarily going absolutely hog wild. So something to think about in the future for your dungeon master or just that player at the table who you'd like to acknowledge with a Secret Santa gift. Well, that's it. Fly, my little dragons. Have a fantastic day.